glory. I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? I came out the wrong line already. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored if you played football for this team. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. Golly. Over the tackle of the 40-yard line. Who can make a play? I can. Who can make a play? I can. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Roundtable Podcast, brought to you by the Pulse Podcasting Network, and me, your host, Matt Bruning. You can follow me at SportsFanaticMB on Twitter. We've got another great episode for you guys today, recapping the Super Bowl, the defensive, uh, pretty much the full-on defensive game. Not much offense going on in that one, obviously. Just 16 points, the lowest-scoring Super Bowl in Super Bowl history. Pretty, uh... Pretty interesting here, the fact in the day and age where offense rules and, uh, well, let's be honest, we broke all kinds of offensive records this year, probably will do it again next year, and yet defense and the running game ruled the day again, goes back to the old saying, all those old NFL guys saying, get off my lawn today, all right, that defense and the running game wins championships, and we saw that yesterday with the New England Patriots getting the victory 13-3. Just a couple things here, thank you guys so much for participating in the Thrive Sports Fantasy app uh, that we put out. Uh, appreciate all you guys reaching out uh, and doing what uh, using the link and, and prop betting and everything that will continue on throughout the year so continue to check that out uh, we also have another interesting t-shirt deal on the way through the Pulse Podcasting Network once all that stuff gets set up we will give you guys uh, the information on it. probably on Thursday's episode I think everything will be complete uh, where you can get short sleeve shirts, baseball shirts long sleeve shirts, hoodies I'm ex- super excited about that Also, again, guys, we're doing another giveaway with a 500-level swag here, guys. So rate, review the episode. If you guys rate the episode, make sure to DM me on Twitter or Dennis at Culture underscore Coach. And whether it's good or bad, it doesn't matter. We will take the bad rates as well, as long as you guys hopefully will give us some constructive criticism on how you guys would like us to improve the podcast. But good rates, bad rates, doesn't matter. Just DM us on Twitter that you did it because we obviously can't go look at that. That. And if you do review the podcast, please leave your Twitter handle in the review uh, so that you guys can get entered for the swag. We will announce the two winners on Thursday's podcast uh, this Thursday, uh, probably at the start of the episode. Once that happens, I will reach out to you guys to get the information I need for you to pass it up on the chain to get you guys your free swag. Uh, you guys, if you follow me on Twitter, saw a couple of the guys who got their stuff last time. Again, uh, 500 level is awesome. I love their gear. I have a couple Baker Mayfield shirts and an old school Joe Hayden shirt from them as well when uh, when Joe was my favorite Browns player. Uh, but just awesome stuff, you guys. Just check it out. Even if you have just some spare time, uh, check them out. That's a really good company, and I'm, I'd be happy to, to hook you guys up with some free swag. So please drop a rate and a review whenever you guys have time for that. Uh, that way we can, you know, get that going, get you guys hopefully some free gear. So without further ado, let's get Dennis in here, and let's recap the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 53. 
And welcome back, Dennis. Glad to have you back again on Monday here with us after uh, what was a very interesting Super Bowl, I guess would be the way to describe it. Uh, as I was just explaining to everybody today, is just going to be talking about the Super Bowl. Not much else going on. Um, really excited to talk about what we're going to do next, but we'll save that for the end of the episode. So before we kick anything off, how you doing today? I am having a fantastic day. It's about 55 degrees up here in Ohio. Everything is melting, and it's a hot, wet, muddy mess. <laughs> hey, man, 55 degrees is definitely a lot better than what you were dealing with, and I hear you. It's 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 actually like 65, 70 right now in Texas, so it's been a it's been a beautiful day. It's been uh, nice. Again, I would, would have loved to have a really good game last night to kind of transition into such a beautiful day, but uh, I'm interested to hear, bef- just before we break anything down with the, either the Patriots or the Rams or, or everything that happened in the game, I just kind of want to get your overall thoughts on the game, uh, what you thought about it. You know, a lot of people obviously on Twitter and really everywhere all over radio and TV today talking about how they thought that it was a really bad game. I, I kind of disagree with them, but I'd like to get your takes on just, just the game overall, your thoughts on it. Did you enjoy it last night? Did you think it was a good game, bad game? Uh, what'd you think? Well, I thought the game provided an awful lot of tension. And mm-hmm. now it's different than, say, the Rams and Chiefs game, which was one of those, whoever gets the ball last is probably going to win, right. as opposed to whoever can make a, wh- whoever makes a score of any sort might win here. I think a lot of times people get wrapped up. They think a a great defensive battle means a whole bunch of splashy defensive plays. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I think that the defenses were just very solid, and they made good plays. They were typically in good position, and New England made a couple bigger plays. They they schemed better. Uh, They got Julian Edelman open nonstop, and Sony Michel did what he does, so... I enjoyed the game myself, so I feel like I'm a party of one after reading Twitter all day. <laughs> hey, you're not a party of one. I'm right there with you, though. I do have to admit, uh, I did technically fall asleep for about five minutes in the second quarter. Uh, that was more due to just being exhausted than the actual game. Uh, I'm right there with you. I thought the game was really good, actually. I, I thought of, you know, the more and more I've looked at it and uh, just kind of thought about it, I've, I'm really impressed with what Bill Belichick and Wade Phillips were able to do in this game. The fact that you gave these two brilliant defensive minds two weeks to plan for these offenses, and they shut them down. They shut down two of the top four offenses going in, uh, or that finished out the year both in the top four on offense, and they were able to shut them down. I think that speaks volumes uh, to what a lot of people already knew about Bill Belichick being such a good defensive head coach, but I don't think a lot of that light was shined on Wade Phillips as much. A lot of people thought he was a good defensive coach, but I think he kind of showed exactly what he could do in the fact that he was confusing Brady. You know, a lot of people including myself talking about how Wade Phillips and that defense had Brady had to call two timeouts within six minutes of the the start of that game, uh, just showing how much they were confusing him. So I'm, I'm right there with you. I thought it was a great game. Yeah, it did kind of lack uh, the flashy defensive plays like you were talking about. Not a, not a lot of sacks, at least on the page for, for the Patriots, uh, the Rams and Jared Goff got sacked quite a bit. Uh, but you know, obviously just the two interceptions, not a, not a lot of big flashy plays, but all in all, I thought it was a really good defensive game. Uh, so from that, 
at, I want to. What I want to do is just kind of take it on one team each to break it down. Uh, obviously, we can go over the big plays in the games from their sides, but I kind of want to attack it from a from a team perspective. So, starting with the Patriots, we talked about it on Thursday. You brought up uh, the Patriots' offensive line and how you thought it was going to be a crucial match of them and how they were going to try and limit Indomitian Sue and Aaron, Aaron Donald from getting to Tom Brady, and they obviously did a very good job of that. Give me your thoughts on the offensive line, uh, just in general for the Patriots and how great of a game they played against the Rams. Well, I think Thune, Anders, and Mason provided a, a wall in the middle of the field there and kept Sue and Aaron Donald at bay for the most part. Between the two of them, I think they had, what, uh, five tackles and two qu- six tackles, two quarterback hits. Yeah. And... uh no sacks, so they were pretty much non-factors. And there were a couple plays where, as as quick as Aaron Donald is, uh, in the, the fourth quarter there, they were opening up some big holes on the, the right side of that line with uh, Mason and Cannon and Andrews over there. Yeah. So I feel like the, the Patriots' offensive line, uh, they did what they needed to do, and they were solid, if not spectacular. And, you know, Brady uh, got his first sack of the postseason, which we talked about on Thursday, yeah. but it was only one sack, and they were fortunate to recover the fumble, so it really didn't amount to anything more than a sack. Did they put some? Did they make him uncomfortable in the pocket? I think I think they did. I felt like uh, you know, on the the edges they were able to get some pressure and and make him have to kind of move around and throw a little bit quicker than he wanted to. Mm-hmm. But he had a he had a pretty good pretty good game 21 for 35 262 yards you know i i I was if if i'm the patriots you know they care about winning they're not they don't really they're not looking to run up the score you know they're gonna they want to go out and execute their game plan right and i think uh something that i think gets lost is brian flores called the game belichick was instrumental in putting the plan together Mm mm-hmm but Brian Flores is the one who called that game. Right. Yeah, I, 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 right. I, I understand that. I agree with you on on pretty much everything you were saying there. I think it was. Uh, I was just looking at the stats here. So it was uh, John Franklin, the the Rams defensive end, that got the sack. It wasn't even in Sue or Donald. Uh, something that I had talked about earlier in the year. I think even before we made it to the playoffs was Aaron Donald. They had put a stat out on him. Uh, that he was able to get through double teams, and I think it was like three and a half seconds through almost the entire season. So he was by far the quickest player that could get through or get around double teams however he does it. Uh, the next closest was Jadavion Clowney, and I think he was already over four four seconds. So it doesn't sound like a lot, but in NFL game time, that is a big deal because most quarterbacks, especially someone like Tom Brady, they're getting the ball out within three or four seconds. They're not holding on to it. Um, and we saw it, though, with, with the way that they were playing, especially Julian Edelman, who we'll get to in a minute, uh, just how quickly Brady was trying to get that ball out. But you were, you're right, and I agree with you 100%. They were definitely getting to Brady and making him uncomfortable. Um, I think the biggest thing for the Rams' defense uh, was just how how well the Patriots were able to move the ball, though, even when they didn't score. We saw many times that the Patriots were able to drive and get, you know, maybe one, two, three first downs, and yeah, they didn't get into field goal territory. They didn't get into the red zone, able to score a touchdown, obviously, but they were still able to drive the ball, and they were keeping that Rams defense on the field longer and longer, and then when the Rams offense came out there, 
the Patriots defense shut them down. I know they went eight straight uh, three and outs, which, you know, when you throw in that defense back out there, I, I don't care how good Aaron Donald and Ndamukong Sue are. Uh, you can only – you know, you can only rush the passer and do that so many times before you start getting tired. And I think that's kind of what really wore them down toward the end of that game. And then obviously, you know, again, going up against that offensive line, I think Cannon and Mason, the way they were double teaming Aaron Donald was just working phenomenally, obviously. And for whatever reason, Ndamukong Sue just could not get uh, through his matchups. Even when he was, it was set up one-on-one against somebody, he just couldn't get by him and get that pressure. The key pressure, big play uh, on Brady, uh, which I thought was, was huge for the game. So with Julian Edelman, you talked about it on Thursday. You said that you were really interested to watch his matchup uh, with Mikel Roby Coleman, who was considered one of the better uh, slot cornerbacks in the league. Um, I was kind of looking at the stats. Now, he wasn't going up against Mikel Roby Coleman the whole time. There was a few times that he was going up against Marcus Peters as well. But as anybody who watched it, you know, spoiler alert, he won the MVP of the game if you didn't watch the game. Uh, He went just off in this one. So he had... uh, one carry for eight yards, but obviously came in through huge in the passing game. He was targeted 12 times, caught the ball 10, got 10 receptions for 141 yards. And for me, before I get your opinion on it real quick, I just want to say he, he balled out. I mean, I was I could not have been more impressed with what he did in this game. It seemed like every time the Patriots were in like a third and eight, third and nine, there was Julian Edelman getting that dagger and stabbing it right in to the, to the heart of that Rams defense and just getting those huge first downs. I think he deserved the MVP award. Uh, I thought he was by far the best player on there. Um, you know, you could argue certain other players, I guess, but for me, it was all about Julian Edelman. Uh, what were your takes on Julian and obviously going up against Mikel Roby Coleman? Uh, like you talked about being kind of the key matchup in this passing game on Thursday. Well, I think if you were going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, if you're going to give the MVP to an offensive player, it was Edelman. Uh-huh. Uh, he he was consistently open, caught the ball with ease, picked up chunk yards, 8, 10, 12, 15 yards at a time, and he averaged 14.1 yards per reception. Right. Uh, you know, he was he was as clutch as he he ever you 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 want somebody to be when they needed something. Brady knew he could rely on him, and he he knew he could get open. It was it was a great scheme. I'm not sure. You know, you. I feel like Wade Phillips is a really, really good defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. but I don't feel like they made the adjustments they needed to do to cover Edelman. It was almost like they said, if you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us with this one guy. Right. So go do it. And they did. I mean, Chris Hogan was terrible. <laughs> yes, uh, was. James White was invisible. You know, Cordero Patterson did a couple things. Burkhead pitched in. Uh, Gronkowski had a good game. I was. It was nice to see him. He had, you know, he had that one big catch to get him down for Michelle's touchdown. Right. But it was it was the Julian Edelman show, and it, it was a a pace game. I think both teams came in with a plan to to kind of just walk the game. They they weren't. It, there wasn't a lot of uh, attempted big plays. The Rams tried a couple, but they they got broke up. But for the most part, it was it was just a let's let's walk this down. We're, it was like a sumo match almost. Yeah, I um, I mean, I agree with you one hundred percent. I think, in all honesty, it was just Julian Edelman. I mean, obviously Gronk did have a couple big uh, big plays here. Obviously, I think the the twenty nine yarder where he dove for the ball was huge. Obviously, he doesn't if he misses that, there's no guarantee that the Patriots end up punching it in with the Sony Michelle there. Uh, but really, it was nobody else. You look at Gronk's numbers, so yeah, you take the 
the 29-yarder he put right there at the end uh, in the fourth quarter. He got six catches for 87 yards. Rex Burkhead, uh, just two for 15. Cordero Patterson, two for 14. Chris Hogan doesn't even pop up here on my stat sheet. Uh, you know, Sony Michelle, it was interesting for me, uh, was talking back with a few people about the other day, talking about how Sony Michelle had a really good game, uh, and I kind of disagree with that. Uh, I know he had the 18 carries for, for 94 yards and then does get the touchdown, but almost all of that came in the fourth quarter on that three-minute drive where they ended up getting down and, and uh, actually kicking the field goal to put it up 13-2-3 at the time. Uh, he really hadn't done much up until that point. He actually got uh, eight of his nine, eight of his 18 runs on that three uh, that three-minute play and got, I believe, it was close to 70 of his 90 yards. So he really had actually been bottled up by that Rams defense up until that point, but really it came down to to him, Edelman, and Gronk. Uh, they were the only ones, in my opinion, that did anything. James White uh, is someone that uh, I had talked about on Thursday. I thought would have a huge game here. Uh, you know, I thought we, we actually joked around about Rex Burkhead and Cordero Patterson, uh, thinking, you know, neither one of those guys will really do anything. But if we had to choose one, I think we both went Burkhead. And Burkhead did actually play pretty good as well, like you were saying. Uh, had a couple huge plays. Had that... Uh, 26-yard run there that really kind of helped them get into field goal territory as well on that three-minute drive. Uh, Tom Brady, not a great game here. Um, It was really interesting. So stats-wise, this was by far his worst performance in a Super Bowl. Um, Stats-wise and everything, yet I think this is possibly his best Super Bowl win. Not just him, but the team and Bill Belichick. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that? I, I don't know if you're a. I mean, I personally am not really a big Tom Brady fan. I, I respect him for what he's been able to do. Him, Bill Belichick, and the Patriots. Uh, chances are we're never going to see anything like this again. Um, and obviously, he's uh, come in. They've come into the Super Bowl with a lot more clout recently uh, than obviously this Super Bowl. I wouldn't go as far as the underdog story that they were kind of trying to throw out there. Uh, I thought a lot of people maybe not favored them to win this matchup, but they weren't necessarily the underdog. Uh, But they've never come in, I guess, I would say probably at a low point like they did, except for maybe the very first Super Bowl where they ironically beat the Rams as well. Um, What what are your thoughts on Tom Brady, his performance in this game? Uh, Did you think it was one of his best games ever? Uh, Just kind of another game for him? Just your your thoughts on Brady overall and and winning his sixth ring uh, in this game last night? Well, he, he didn't pick the team up, put him on his shoulders, and carry the team to victory. He was a role player who, who fulfilled his role very well. He was able to see what the defenses were doing, and when he wasn't sure or he needed more time, he wasn't afraid to take the, those early timeouts. Mm-hmm. So I feel like he played a, a he he was a he managed a great game is what he did. Right. And everybody hates that term game manager, but that's exactly what he did. Uh, he didn't throw any touchdown passes through one interception. He completed 71% of his passes, which is great, um, but it, only 262 yards. He played a good game. The, the, the team came in with a game plan, and they executed it. Mm-hmm. And the result of that was, you know, you talk about, well, Sony, you know, his stuff was in the fourth quarter. Well, it was. He they brought Burkhead in midway through the second quarter and basically played him for a quarter and a half and let him help grind that uh, defense down a little bit and sort of open things up. So Burkhead averaged six yards a carry. Yeah. Would he have, you know, I, it was funny. I'm watching uh, Michelle bust a couple of those runs out and I was uh, 
taken by how, and, and I don't know if it's his knee still that maybe he'll never get it back, but he just, he, he, he couldn't pull away. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at that and I thought, you know, if that was Nick Chubb, that 26 yarder, he'd have been gone. Or if that was carry uh, on Johnson, I feel like he would have been gone, uh-huh. but M- Michelle for whatever, uh, not Michelle. Uh, yeah, Michelle just couldn't seem to get that one more step to be able to get away. And, and there's nothing wrong with being that, you know, four or five, nine guy that's going to, you know, max out at a 15 or 20 yard carry. But, you know, he, they, Br- Brady executed the game plan and managed the game uh, I think just about perfectly. Yeah, I agree with you. And that it's it's crazy to see, especially when you go back and just think about the last two Super Bowls they've been in, obviously, against uh, Atlanta two years ago where they came back with the, the 25-point victory, or came back from behind 25 points and ended up winning that one. And then obviously last year against Philadelphia uh, where you had like the 40, I can't remember what the score is now, 44, 38, whatever it was, where it was just an offensive game the whole way. Uh, to, so to see kind of where the Patriots have come from there and, and the way they won at this time like I said I, for me personally I just think it's by far one of uh one of the best uh wins at the Super Bowl legacy wins that they've had him and Bill together uh, to come in again and shut down not only the second highest scoring offense uh in the league this year but they did it to the number one in the in Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs two weeks ago so to see him come in and then win a game like this I mean I, I, there had to have been thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands of predictions that have gone on over the past two weeks of the scores uh, for the game and everything, and not one person did I see uh, predict that the Rams... Well, there was one person, apparently, who predicted the Rams would only score three points because he won $100,000 on it. Good on him. Uh, but no, nobody else did I see picking the Rams to only score three points and the Patriots to score 16. I think the lowest scoring... Uh, total that I saw anywhere was like the Rams scoring 16 points altogether and the Patriots scoring 24. So it, it just it was an all-out defensive battle. Again, I, I completely disagree. I know you do as well uh, with all the people that say it was a bad game. It was just a defensive game, and uh, that's you know really in my opinion was a good game. It was interesting to see just kind of the the way that they were making moves around each other. Although I do feel uh, I agree with you that I don't think Wade Phillips did enough to counteract uh, what Julian Edelman was doing, or maybe he was just trying to do that whole, we're going to only let Julian Edelman beat us and shut down everybody else. Cause they did kind of shut down everybody else, but Julian Edelman. Um, and then obviously with McVay, we'll, we'll get to him when we start talking about the Rams. Uh, the last two topics I want to get onto with the Ray, uh, the Patriots here, Gronk. So obviously we saw Gronk have a huge game, not a huge game, but he's looked much different in these playoffs, and he has literally the entire season. He's looked like a completely different player. Maybe he's been saving himself up for the playoffs, knowing, hey, we're there every year. I'm just going to try and save up as much of my energy and everything. My body's beat up. I you know, don't want to push myself too hard. Sat out a couple games. Just did not look like he was doing much of anything except for run blocking most of the year. Uh, and then comes in here into the playoffs and just lights it up in almost every single game so far. He, he He's been awesome. Do you think, just personally, I know obviously we'll find out here in a couple weeks if he is or isn't done. Uh, do you think he is done? And if you do think that he comes back, uh, do you still have him in your top five of dynasty-worthy tight ends at top tier right now going into next year? Well, I would honestly be surprised if we know in a couple weeks. I feel like he's going to go on vacation. He's going to be hanging out. He's going to relax, try and get his body healthy, and I – and he loves the spotlight. Right. So I feel like it's going to drag on up and if he's going to retire, it's going to be 
late summer, you know, a couple weeks before training camp, just because he'll want that attention. Mm-hmm. He likes to be talked about. And, it'll, you know, it'll help with that whole movie career, wrestling career, whatever it is he decides to do. You know, competitive sports are, uh, it's a different animal. And you see it in, uh, you know, in baseball and boxing and basketball and football. Players, they just play too long because that's who they are. That's what they do. And they can't give it up. They just, they, nothing else can replace that thrill. Who knows if that's going to be Gronk. You know, he clearly is not the athlete that he used to be, even at 29. He's taken a beating and it's, it's war on him. Mm-hmm. He's a big guy. He's what, 6'6, 265 or something. He's a big guy. He gets hit a lot. Uh, he's a great blocker. So, you know, it isn't like they take him off the field when it's a run play. He's, he's out there and he's engaging with defensive linemen. So, uh, should he retire? You know, I don't know. It, he's, he's not in my top five dynasty tight ends if he comes back. Uh, I, I feel like there's going to be, there's enough good youth at the position mm-hmm. uh, with Ertz and uh, Kittle and Kelsey. You know, him and Kelsey are the same age, but Kelsey just seems so much healthier. Right. So th- there's, a, there's other guys who are playing at a higher level and, and other guys that are ascending. You know, is he top 10? He'd be in my top 10 um, because, I, yes, Dynasty is great and you want to build for the future and you want youth. But the goal is to win, it's to win this year. Mm-hmm. And so just because you've got an old tight end, if he's going to produce a top 10 level, you, know, you, you want to get him on your team if you've, got, if you've got the space or you have a need. So Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think for me, I'd probably have him, uh, honestly, probably six or seven. I, I don't have him in my top five. Um, I don't see him getting up there. I think the difference with him and Kelsey just doesn't seem like he's taken those big. Kelsey doesn't seem to have taken those big injuries like Gronk has. I mean, Gronk really hasn't. I know a lot of people want to talk about how he's been uh, so injury riddled the past couple of years, but a lot of it is his back. And I mean, you can talk to anybody, and you don't have to be a you know superior athlete like he is to talk about when you get a back injury. That's some serious business. I mean, back injuries just they mess with you no matter who you are. So I think that is a big deal for him. Um, I agree with you. He he obviously likes the spotlight. We've seen it. He's like the one guy in the Patriots organization that can uh, just go do, live life, have fun, and Bill Belichick doesn't seem to say anything to him. Nobody else. You don't see anybody else in the Patriots organization act like him. Matter of fact, I don't even think Randy Moss acted like he did when Randy Moss was there for that one or two years. Uh, so Gronk, he's just his own guy. I don't think he goes into wrestling. I think he probably goes uh, movies. I think wrestling probably be almost just as much of a strain on his body that it is now. I know a lot of people are talking about him going into wrestling. I personally don't see that. I think he would he definitely move toward the movies, but I agree with you. I, I know he's talked about saying that he's going to let everybody know in a couple weeks, but I'd imagine it's going to be closer. I would think he probably makes his decision right around the draft would be would be my guess, either right before or maybe a little bit after he decides he's going to, uh, to hang it up or not. I personally think he'll come back for one more year just because his contract ends after next season i think he's gonna he's he's set to make like eight or nine million this year so i could see him coming back uh for this one last year give it one more ride and then and then uh go off into the sunset and do uh whatever it is he wants to do next with his life so a lot of the talk here over the past day uh not really the past day for the past 24 hours after his performance in the super bowl uh is julian edelman a hall of famer now 
I know which way I lean. I'm uh, interested to hear which way you lean on this conversation. Your thoughts on Julian Edelman uh, as a Hall of Famer. Now, I'll give the caveat that uh, if you think he's close or it's something you need to see a little bit more of, go ahead. And obviously, you can expand upon that. It doesn't have to be a a clear yes or no answer. uh, But I'd like to hear your thoughts on Edelman and his possible Hall of Fame candidacy. I think the Hall of Fame is so subjective anymore. Mm -hmm. It's hard to measure because the rules have changed so much. Um, I, I don't... I don't recall a time where I thought Edelman was the best receiver in the NFL. And I think if you're going to look at, are you a Hall of Fame player, uh, were you you considered the best is something you have to ask. I don't get wrapped up about the whole PED thing and then being the uh, Super Bowl MVP. Mm -hmm. He he did something he shouldn't have. He got caught. uh, He paid his penalty. And then he played the rest of the season. And he had a great Super Bowl especially compared to uh, most of the other offensive players in the game. But I also, I think at a, in a time when numbers are king, he hasn't really put up those kind of numbers. He plays big in big games. He's got a great connection with, with a surefire Hall of Fame quarterback. Right. But I, I just don't know that, uh, I, I don't know that he's a Hall of Fame worthy wide receiver. Gotcha. Uh, so I actually lean the other way. Um, I wasn't, I've never, I shouldn't say I've never been a fan of Julian Edelman. I, I've, I've always thought he's a very good player. I do agree with you. Uh, there's never really been like one time I've looked at it and been like, oh yeah, he's definitely the best wide receiver on his team and, and one of the best in the N- <clears throat> excuse me, in the NFL when he's been playing. However, I do think what he's done with the Patriots cannot be overlooked and what he's done obviously in the postseason is a is a key factor for me so he's racked up 1412 yards in in the just the playoffs alone just behind Jerry Rice which chances are he's never going to catch him because he's he's like a clear thousand yards behind him uh, but he's behind Jerry Rice in almost every category when it comes to the playoffs and I think that matters uh, just how clutch he's been in big moments when they've needed him the most uh, in the regular season and the postseason, I think speaks volumes. Now you're right. He doesn't have the numbers. He's, you know, not even a, I can't remember. Someone was talking about it on Twitter today. Like he's not even. Uh, I think Jabbar Gaffney has had more receptions or more yards than him in his time with the Patriots than Julian Edelman has. Uh, but Edelman's missed time due to injuries. Obviously, he missed the entire year, uh, the year prior, because of the ACL injury. Uh, I do think he's. You know, he's 32 years old, which I think a lot of people overlook as well. I think he's still got a couple more years to go. If he stays at this level or close to this level for the next two or three years, I personally think he does deserves to get into the Hall of Fame. Now, whether or not he does, we'll see. Again, I, I agree with you that number is kind of our king right now with the way that everybody looks at the Hall of Fame, and it is kind of uh, they, they. It seems like they kind of change their their ideas of what a Hall of Famer is almost every other year with players that are getting in that other people think shouldn't compared to people who should be getting in or people who should already be in that aren't. So definitely um, an interesting conver- conversation for me. I, I Like I said, I think that he's right there on the verge of it. And if he continues to put up the numbers that he has, he should be in for me. So moving well, on. I agree. He should go into the Hall of Very Good. <laughs> well, that is that is what a lot of people are saying. I just think I, I just don't think you can overlook everything he's done for them. The position change and everything. I just 
I think he's a lot better than people give him credit for, especially in in an offense where he's never been the featured weapon. And I do think that if he was the featured weapon, now maybe that's because he can't be. I, I don't know that for a fact. Obviously, I don't sit in on Patriots meetings. I'd love to be a fly on the wall one day just to hear Bill Belichick and all them talk about how their feelings on, on offense and everything and just kind of pick the brain from some of the best in the business. Uh, but I, I just think that he's he's been so good for so long, he, he deserves at least some recognition for that. Moving on to the Rams. So the big talk today for them, and I'm just going to let you know right now, I completely disagree with this entire narrative, uh, but I do want to get your thoughts on it. Sean McVay, um, he obviously came out after the game last night and said that he was out coached, that he just he didn't make enough adjustments. He called a bad game plan uh, when it came to going up against Bill and Brian Flores and that defense, uh, and he just couldn't figure it out. Now, a lot of people are saying that he is overrated. He, you know, was propped up as this offensive guru, this super young, smart offensive mind who's going to change the game. Um, and I think that everybody's kind of forgetting about how good this Rams offense has been the past two years since he's had the head coaching job. And just because he had one bad game doesn't mean that he is overrated. Uh, but that is a lot of the talk, a lot of it coming from obviously some pretty upset and hurt Rams fans. But then I've also seen some analysts and uh, some other people Both pretty high. Them, huh? I'm sorry? Both up certain, both of those up upset and hurt Rams fans. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure they're they're pretty pissed off today, especially with what their team has done all season long. They only put up three points against a team that uh, said a, a lot of people expected them to beat. So, but I've seen a lot of analysts, fantasy analysts, uh, people, you know, TV, radio talking about how maybe they overrated him and he's not quite as good as uh as we all thought he was. And I think that's complete horseshit, to be honest with you. Uh, I still think he's one of the best coaches in the league. Uh, he just he had had a bad game. He got outcoached by a legend. Bill Belichick is likely going to go down as the best NFL head coach ever. And I, in all honesty, at this point in time, don't see anybody coming. Obviously, maybe someday someone will be able to come by and be better than him, but it's hard to see that at this moment. So your thoughts on McVay uh, and just kind of, is he overrated? Do you think it was just a bad game? What are your thoughts on him? Can you really be considered overrated two years into your career? No, I don't think you know, so. I, I feel like he's he's right at the beginning, and he just went up against, I don't know if it's even arguable that Belichick is not the best coach in the history of the NFL. Right. So you, you go up against the best. I mean, the Patriots played man-to-man coverage more than any team in the NFL this year, and they came into this game and played more zone coverage than just about any team in the NFL this year. They came in with a completely different plan. Belichick just created this whole game, this whole team, to match up with the, with the what the Rams do and to take their strengths away. Uh-huh. And that's, as a young guy, that's it takes a while to learn how to adjust on the fly. He, he, he does it, I think, better than most young coaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's a really, really good coach. But it's also really easy when somebody looks really come out and they're making great decisions and the team turns around and Jared Goff went from never was to next big thing. Uh, it's easy to think, oh, we've got this genius and they want to start throwing around these lofty terms. Well, he's a he's a really, really good coach. He's developing a really good system. He's looking at the strengths of his players and trying to put them in position I, I don't understand what's going on with Gurley. That's left me confused. Yeah. But he, he let Wade Phillips coach the defense. And honestly, the, the defense made just literally 
two fewer plays than the Patriots' defense, and that's really the difference in the game. So is 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 he overrated? I don't think he's overrated. I think he's a top five, top seven NFL coach right now. And when you look at the, I, I guess the coaches who have uh, become head coaches over, say, the past three years, uh, I'd probably say he's he's one of the best, if not the best. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I just. Uh... I was going to jump to Jared Goff, but I really actually want to get into this girly talk. So the one thing I will hit McVay with, and and this could change, obviously, is uh, his usage of Gurley and Anderson. I just don't get it one bit. So obviously, if something comes out in the next couple days that Todd Gurley was more injured than we were all led to believe, and he has some kind of knee scope or some knee surgery or whatever it is, uh, that'll make a lot of sense. But for me, if it really is just coming down to what they talked about before and after the game, that they were going to go with the hot hand approach and all this, I don't understand it one bit. Todd Gurley is widely considered to be the best running back in the league. He's the highest paid running back in the league, the best running back on your team. I love C.J. Anderson. He's come in. He's balled out since you guys have got him. No doubt about that. He is not Todd Gurley. Why you guys sit Todd Gurley for C.J. Anderson because you think, oh, well, C.J. Anderson's going to get us those tough yards. C.J. Anderson wasn't doing shit either. I mean, you had Todd Gurley, who's amazing in the receiving game, and yet he was not out there doing anything whatsoever. I think that's the biggest hit. I could put on Sean McVay at this moment. Again, if Todd Gurley is, if if he is injured, then none of this matters. Obviously, we don't know for sure if he was or wasn't. He says that he's healthy, and he was just going out there and doing whatever he was told when he was told to go do it. Um, so if that was the case, then I, I really think McVay, McVay has got to rethink that because uh, that's just ridiculous to leave your best, in my opinion, the best player you have on your team outside of Aaron Donald uh, to just sit on the bench to put C.J. Anderson in there makes no sense to me. Um, and with that being said, uh, I'll get your opinions on that as well as do you think that with his performances now throughout pretty much the entire playoffs, he had one good game against Dallas. Um, with everything else that he's done since then, do you think his dynasty stock has taken a hit as well with what he's done? I think we have to wait and see if anything comes out about him being injured. Okay. Uh, you know, I think I'm going to probably start to poke around the girly owners and sort of see, you know, is anybody interested in moving him? You know, what are they thinking? Are, are they are they getting nervous and they want to try to get out while the getting's good? <laughs> right. Unfortunately, we play in leagues with a whole bunch of really good players and. Most everybody listens to a bunch of podcasts. Yeah. Most of them will be going like, yeah, no, we think he's he's still good. It was but my other. But the other thing that I wonder is if he's injured, though, and they didn't report it, that's going to lead to a fine. Yep. Yeah. So I was and actually. Oh, go ahead. I'll, that's going to be trouble. Yeah. No, that's just that'll that'll be trouble. I agree. So I was actually listening to someone talk about that earlier today. There is a lot of talk about that, that if they find out that Gurley was actually more injured than the Rams let on, because I believe the past few uh, injury reports, he's been left off completely. Like, they've said he's perfectly healthy. So if they were lying to the NFL, there is talks that uh, they can go back and pull up practice footage and everything, see if Todd Gurley was actually doing what they said he was doing. They can actually take their first-round pick away, which would be insane. Um, again, it would that make would a— crazy. yeah. It would make a lot of sense if that is the case. You know, a lot of us, I, I, including myself, I, there's just got to be something else wrong. There's just no way you leave him on your bench. Um, you know, maybe it's something where 
it's, he, you know, I know I saw some people talking about, you know, maybe a meniscus or something. You know, I've torn my meniscus where you can do you can do stuff, but then after a little bit of doing and grinding on that knee, do it gets to the point where you can't do anything anymore. Maybe that's what's going on. I don't know, but uh, I do think regardless of which way it goes, whether he is injured or not, um, it's going to be a really interesting offseason for him. I can't imagine that the Rams keep C.J. Anderson, uh, but if they do, I would do the same thing. I'd start reaching out to some girly owners and see if they're starting to get a little nervous, especially if C.J. Anderson stays there, if maybe they'll be willing to move him, because I still think he's a top five back. Um, but I could honestly see a couple players, you know, I could see Zeke, Barkley, and CMC jumping him in redraft leagues and possibly even some dynasty startups um, and seeing him drop to like the fourth or fifth pick now in drafts just based on what he's done in the playoffs. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see him drop down a couple notches. Um, It'll be interesting to see when startups get rolling here in a a couple weeks. I've got one orphan I'm waiting to take over and it's supposed to unlock tomorrow at like 6 a.m. So hopefully I can jump on it before I get to work tomorrow. So. Yeah, it's almost that time again. There, I guess. So, back to Gurley. No, no, that's fine. I understand. That's what uh, everybody's excited about now. All the leagues are starting to reopen up. You can start getting back to trading, getting ready for that 2019 draft, which is something we'll uh, we'll get into heavily here in the next coming weeks as well. Because obviously, the combine is just 22 days away now. I think. Uh, so it's 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 going to be here before we know it. Next thing we know, the draft's going to be here, and we're already going to be ready for the 2019 season. So as I was saying earlier, I was going to jump into Jared Goff like you were talking about. He uh, started out as this complete bust with Jeff Fisher and the Rams. Uh, wasn't going to turn out to be anything to McVay showing up, and now he's the next best thing. You know, he's got that cool California attitude. Nothing bothers him. He's the next best quarterback coming up, and then looked completely clueless out there in the game yesterday I think a lot of it came from what Bill Belichick and Brian Flores were able to do with that defensive plan and everything uh what were your thoughts on Jared Goff I'm just going to be up front with I've never been a fan of Jared Goff I've always thought he's like a 12 or lower quarterback in my opinion a lot of that comes to the fact that I think the fantasy position at quarterback is extremely loaded uh, it's extremely probably the deepest position in fantasy, uh, but I personally have not been that big of a fan of golf uh, really his entire time in the NFL. What are your thoughts on him? Do you think it was just the the game plan by Bill Belichick and Brian Flores? Do you think we were seeing kind of what golf really is um, if everything is not going perfect for him and that offense is running, you know, crossing the T's, dotting the I's perfectly like Sean McVay and him want it? Well, I... I definitely think that not just Goff, but any quarterback tends to excel when everything is going right. Right. Uh, so to say that you know is is it the scheme? Well, when your scheme when when your offensive coordinator is out scheming the defense, playing quarterback is really really easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's what we see with Go- with Goff. Now he's what two years into starting with Sean McVay. Yeah. It you know. It takes some time to develop. It's you know, most quarterbacks don't just come in and be plug and play all stars. But I, I I tend to agree with your evaluation there that he's probably a mid to high QB two for fantasy purposes, and for real football purposes, he's gonna be only as good as Sean McVay can scheme him to be. So if he gets if it's getting crowded in the pocket, he's getting pressure. If the defense is doing things that he's not ready for uh, 
then he's going to have he's he's going to struggle a little bit, especially without uh, Todd Gurley. Yeah, you know, Todd Gurley can take an awful lot of pressure off a quarterback when he's racking up 140, 150, 160 yards. <laughs> yeah. You know, catching seven or eight passes out of the backfield. Uh, Goff kind of, his struggles became more evident when Gurley's struggles became prominent. And so I, I don't think he's going to, you know, Goff isn't going to be a kick, pick, put the team on my shoulders uh, and carry it kind of quarterback. Mm-hmm. Can he develop into that? I suppose it's possible. Lots of things happen with experience. I, and I don't so. know that two years into his career – Tom Brady was a put the team on my shoulders and carry it to a Super Bowl uh, win either. But, uh, you know, it depends on how hard he's going to work, you know, knowing his limitations and figuring out what what he can best do to maximize his ability. Yeah, I don't think that he'll ever be that quarterback. I, c- I could be wrong. I just I, I don't see it uh, with him. Uh, his targets, though, Robert Woods and Brandon Cook. So, or his wide receivers, uh, we talked about on Thursday that it was going to be crucial who Stephon Gilmore was on. Uh, he obviously ended up on Brandon Cooks most of the game, which we both agreed we thought he would do. Um, and, and all in all, though, Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods both had decent games. Obviously, Robert um, Robert Woods had, uh, what was it? He had uh, 70 yards on five catches, so not a bad game. Brandon Cooks, 120 yards on eight receptions, could have had two touchdowns. The first one I put completely on Jared Goff because he was wide open from like the 30-yard line, and Jared Goff just did not see him until he was practically standing in the end zone, jumping up and down, waving his arms. Not really, but he was already in the end zone, just standing there completely by himself, and if not for a phenomenal play by Jason McCourty to you to get back there and break that up at the last second uh saved a touchdown there and then obviously the second one I put completely on Brandon Cooks I know everybody's talking about how Stefan Gilmore had kind of locked his left arm and was pulling it down while he was trying to catch the ball it still hit him in the hands and went, uh, hit him in the chest and went through both his hands you know you have to catch that ball so had a chance to have a much better game than what he ended up with, but I thought a huge game for both of them and then obviously nobody else really showed up I do think Cooper Cup has been a big reason why uh, Goff has struggled as well. I think him and him being out and then Gurley struggling just real quick is another reason why Goff has looked so bad. Uh, but just your thoughts overall on Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods. Uh, you know, obviously, I think both of their stocks are rising even more going into 2019. Do you agree with that? Uh, do you, you know, have any other opinions on their games overall in the Super Bowl? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the trouble with Cooks is that teams seem to want to get rid of him after he's there a year or two. Right. And so I'm not quite sure what's up with that. He, he's a, a good player, as you can see by the uh, eight, eight catches for 120 uh, yards. Uh, that was on 13 targets. Between Woods and uh, Cooks, they had 23 of Goff's 38 targets. Um, caught 13 passes for 190 yards between the two of them. So they essentially were the offense in this game. Um, but though Woods uh, or Cook should have had both of those touchdowns. Right. Um, and, and But, you know, Goff was late on his throws a lot. And that had a lot to do with uh, he didn't trust what he was seeing. He studied man. It almost looked like he studied man-to-man defense for two weeks. And then, you know, the pop quiz, it was, it was one of those classic college things where the professor says – you know, everything in this book is eligible for the quiz. <laughs> uh, however, uh, I'm not going to cover everything in this book. You're responsible for knowing it, though. Right. 
And so it ended up being a, uh, uh, he, he, he wasn't able to adapt. And so he didn't believe what he was seeing, and that caused him to hesitate. That one touchdown that McCourty broke up, it was really, really bad. It was really late. Yeah. And it, 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 but there was a lot of that going on. Uh, I think Woods and Cooks make a really good tandem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he didn't have that safety blanket that he has with Cooper Cup. Right. Cooper Cup is Jared Goff's uh, Julian Edelman, and without that, you know, he he tends to. Uh, I think his confidence was a little bit uh, out of place because he wasn't able to get some of those uh, quick hitters, those routine things that he does with Cup to get his confidence going, and and that kind of sh- that affected the whole offense. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think uh, obviously, I thought that was a big difference in the Saints game too. Is uh, they came out, you, you could tell they clearly struggled early on in that game with the Saints. Uh, but then once they started getting the ball rolling a little bit, golf was making a couple good throws and he was getting his guys involved. Next thing you know, that offense looked completely different there in that the end of that third and the fourth quarter in the Saints game. And that just never really happened in this game. They just could not get anything going. Uh, and I think a lot of that comes from the defense as well. Uh, the Patriots defense, uh, I think a lot of the reason golf was late on stuff, like you were just saying, is the way they were disguising coverages um, and kind of confusing golf. And then obviously the hits that he was taking as well, the, you know, the interception that he threw, uh, to Gilmore, you could tell that he was he slipped moving backwards because he was trying to avoid that hit because he thought he was about to, and he just threw it up almost like a punt, and Stephon Gilmore was able to come down with it. it was really kind of the crucial play in the game there for me. Uh, before we sign off today, there's uh, two more things I want to touch on. You put out a tweet earlier today about the two, the last two official NFL coaching hires here. Uh, the Dolphins were finally able to announce that they were hiring the Pat's defensive coordinator, Brian Flores, as we all kind of knew was coming, just like the Cincinnati Bengals were able to officially hire Zach Taylor, who was uh, the quarterback coach for the Rams and Jared Goff. Uh, according to the poll that you put up here, now I can't see, uh, we had uh, what 58 votes on it as of six hours ago, so it might have changed, although I can't imagine it changed too much, uh, because the 72% was going for the Dolphins, uh, I believe, uh, what was the way that you worded it? Who feels better tonight? Gotcha. Uh, 72% for Brian Flores and 28% for Zach Taylor. Uh, Again, because these were official, we never actually got a chance to talk about these two hires uh, because we couldn't. I mean, we could have, I guess, because it was rumored that they was going to happen and they like could say that, well, that's who we plan on hiring, but it wasn't official. What are your uh, just quick thoughts really quick on Brian Flores with the Dolphins and Zach Taylor with the Bengals? Well, I think a lot of it's going to come down to uh, building the – coaching staff. Flores has been with uh, the Patriots since 2002 or 2000, 2003. Uh-huh. And he's worked his way up. He's been in Belichick's system for a long time. And for better or worse, uh, you know, Matt Patricia is struggling this past year, coming kind of through that same process. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, I, I suppose one thing that Flores has that Patricia doesn't is he's going to have the ability to hire his own offensive coordinator. He's not going to get stuck with a holdover. Right. Um, and so if he can bring in a good young offensive mind, um, I think that's going to definitely benefit them. You know, there's talk that the, I, I guess the, the dolphins are getting ready to cut uh, Ryan Tannehill. So the quarterback yeah. spot's going to be uh, open there and competition. I guess if they cut Tannehill, that leaves it uh, up to uh, Brock Osweiler, and uh, I think there might be somebody else. Oh, there. the old David Rock Bales. Lobster. 
So um, with Flores, I, I would, you know, Miami's got a pretty good defense, and I expect uh, that that'll improve. He'll, you know, New England tended to, they played a multiple defense, and so I think Flores will go in and evaluate what the defense is built for and try to improve it as opposed to say, well, I know that, uh, you know, it's a 4-3 team, but I only run a 3-4, so I'm going to start squeezing square pegs into round holes and, <laughs> and things like that. I, I think he's, he's, he's going to be smarter than that. As far as Taylor, you know, he – he hasn't really had a whole lot of coordinating experience. Yeah. Uh, he was the OC in Miami in 2015. I guess he was at the University of Cincinnati in uh, 2016 before becoming the wide receivers coach uh, for the Rams. He's done some quarterbacks coaching. Uh, you know, it's it, it'll be, uh, unfortunately for Zach Taylor, he's going to the organization that invests the least amount of money in resources. Right. Right. Uh, He's going to probably have the lowest paid coaching staff, the lowest paid scouting staff. Uh, he's it's already late in the the process, mm-hmm. so I would expect that his coaching staff next year will probably be different than his coaching staff this year because he'll have an opportunity to maybe bring some other people in, and this is going to be his opportunity to show that. Uh, he knows what he's talking about with offense. He's got, you know, there's there's some weapons in in Cincinnati. Tyler Boyd and AJ Green and Joe Mixon, Gio Bernard. I, I think uh, the Andy Dalton thing has run its course. Um, there's been some good defensive players, so he's gonna have to. He's he's got, I think, more of a rebuild than uh, Flores does down in Miami. Uh-huh. Uh, in part because I think he'll be handicapped by his organization more. Yeah, I agree with you on uh, on Zach Taylor. I think uh, it's going to be interesting for both, as you were saying, who their their coach hires are going to be because they're kind of behind the eight ball. I mean, everybody else, I think literally every NFL team already has all their staffs fully lined out. So you could look at it, you know, if you want to look on the bright side, okay, well, now only these two people have to worry about hiring their NFL coaches and staffs. But chances are you're not pulling somebody from another team. So at this point, you're trying to have to kind of figure out who else is out there and who you want to bring in. I agree. Cincinnati really does kind of limit what they uh, what they pay their coaches and everything, so that could hurt Zach Taylor. I actually think Zach Taylor, though, is going into the better situation overall. Um, we saw with what they did with Marvin Lewis that uh, chances are he's not going to be fired right off the bat if he can't turn it around in a couple years. Uh, chances are he's going to get a long period of time to work this over and I think he's actually going into the better team as well I know the the Dolphins had a better record this year but I think the Bengals just kind of just didn't have it going on with Marvin Lewis and Hugh Jackson it was definitely time to get some new voices in there Um, and I like this team overall Andy Dalton while not a great quarterback I think is a mid-tier quarterback he he is what he is and I do think that if Zach Taylor is a going to be what everybody thinks he could be offensively. I think he'll be able to come in and help Andy Dalton out a little bit. Obviously has much better weapons, I think, with him in Cincinnati than they do in uh, Miami, especially at the quarterback and wide receiver position and everything. I don't personally don't think any of the the Dolphins wide receivers are that good. Obviously, big Kenyon Drake fan. I think Drake uh, could be good. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him now, Kenyon Drake, when we move over to Miami. 
if Brian Flores kind of commits to him or whatnot. But uh, I don't see. Uh, obviously, they are going to need a. They're going to need to get themselves a quarterback, whether that's this year. I know there's a lot of talks, obviously, and rumors floating around. They're going to wait for that 2020 draft so they can try and get two. Uh, uh, I, I personally don't think you can just decide to wait two drafts and hope that you get one quarterback because there's no way to guarantee you're going to be the worst team overall. And I do think I would imagine you agree with me two is probably going to be the one 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 point two. Although I still don't think two is going to be the best quarterback coming out of that draft. That's just my opinion, though. Uh, and so, But I, I like their defense, and I do think, obviously, Brian Flores being the defensive mind that he is, he's going to get that defense going in Miami. I just think that offense is such a mess that I think Zach Taylor is going into uh, a better position. So before we close out the podcast today, uh, same thing. We're going to talk about some trades. We uh, had a couple people. Um, let, let, hold on. Yeah. I, I got one quick note here. Okay. I'm just seeing that NFL Network, Tom Pelissero is reporting – that the Bengals are going to bring in Jack Del Rio to interview for their defensive coordinator wow. position. Okay. Well, he's not he's not as old as Wade Phillips. Right. He is one of the, he was a you know, he he got promoted to head coach by being a great defensive coach. Right, right. And so if they bring if they bring Del Rio into Cincinnati to work with that defense to be that veteran sounding board for that young quarterback or excuse me, young head coach and I guess they're bringing in Brian Callahan, the Raiders quarterback coach, as the offensive coordinator. Okay. So, Bill Callahan's son. So, well, I, think you know, I, I guess we'll see what happens. But uh, I think if he gets it, that's huge. Like I said, uh, as you just talked about, too, with Cincinnati, they've got some pretty good players on defense. I, I love Jack Del Rio. I think he kind of got a, a, a kind of got thrown out a little bit too early there in Oakland. He, I mean, obviously almost had them in the playoffs. I think they were pretty much a Super Bowl favorite that year when Derek Carr broke his leg. So I think he's a phenomenal coach, um, and I think he'd be great for that defensive side of the ball there. Uh, so on to the trades. Yep. Uh, we got two. I uh, actually had quite a few of them in the inbox, but uh, couldn't get to all of them, guys, and I apologize about that. I'll try and get some more of them on uh, the next coming podcast uh, we have coming out throughout the uh, the next couple weeks. Uh, but the two ones that were kind of the most interesting to me, and uh, we'll just do the same thing we always do. I'll, I'll give out the trade. I'll throw it to you. You can tell me what DTC had to say about it and your opinion about it. So this was sent to me by Miss Kelly Smith. Uh, she said it's an IDP heavy scoring league. Uh, she gives up Nick Chubb to get Darius Leonard, the young rookie linebacker out of the Indianapolis Colts, and the 1.12. What is DTC saying? What do you say about this trade, Dennis? Well, the DTC doesn't do IDP. Oh, so okay. DT, DTC is not down with IDP. Um, <laughs> it is a uh, – and so I guess my question then becomes – what exactly does she mean by IDP heavy? So, like, I commission a league uh, 16 team with nine IDPs, the Private Dicks League. Uh-huh. And it's a balanced IDP scoring, meaning that uh, uh, 10 of the top 40 scorers in that league were defensive players, including uh, one in the top 10. So that was uh, four points for a defensive tackle, solo tackle, uh Three, I think two and a half for a cornerback, one and a, one or one and a half for a linebacker. Uh-huh. So it was very high. Right. So if it's a, if it's really that high, then it makes sense. Uh, Nick Chubb came in at forty two and a half points, so his his dynasty value it's is high. skyrocketing. Yeah, uh, the one twelve is at uh, only eight point zero, so that means there's thirty four and a half points that Leonard would have to make up. Yeah, I don't see uh, that. It's it's it. It really has to be a situation where uh, if, if 
Leonard is going to be a top 20 scorer in that league, maybe mm-hmm. top 15, then maybe it works. Uh, you know, you may be able to get somebody uh, reasonable at the 112. Maybe it, you might have one of these uh, running backs that falls into a great situation and drops to you. Um, but to get a player at uh, 112 that can make up the difference there, that's a that's a pretty drastic difference. So I would be inclined to stay on the Chubb side, especially not knowing uh, completely what IDP heavy is. So right. maybe, Kelly, if you can shoot us back another message and uh, let us know a little more details about that scoring, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. I think if if it's going to be as heavily scoring as you were talking about with your league, um, I would consider it. Uh, a lot of that, too, again, I didn't get much information from her. Like I say, I, see, I, I encourage you guys, if you're sending emails to the email address, fantasyroundtable at yahoo.com, uh, put in as much information as you can because I, I will read them and I relay all the information I get to Dennis. So we don't mind reading through a minute long, or I don't mind reading through a minute long email because I can just give him the, the details that matter. Uh, because, like, for instance, it'd have been nice to know, like, for instance, who else you have at running back. If you've got, you know, three or four really good running backs, and I wouldn't mind making this trade just based on how good Darius Leonard was this year. Um, I do think you're giving up kind of a lot uh, in, in Nick Chubb, obviously, but you are getting back a really good pick. And again, Darius Leonard, I think, is probably going to be right there as one of the top three linebackers moving forward. Uh, so if it is something that's really high-scoring IDP-wise, like Dennis was saying, I, I would definitely consider it, especially if you have some depth at the running back position. Otherwise, I would just kind of stick with Nick Chubb. I mean, he's in a short amount of time proving what he can do as a running back. And uh, that position, in my opinion, elite-wise, is not that deep. Uh, And you're really only going to have him for a certain amount of time, I would imagine. Especially with as defensive heavy as this draft is, if you really need a defensive stud, you could probably get one of those uh, in the draft. may not be Darius Leonard, but they might be just as good or close to what Darius Leonard was. So I'd stick with Chubb for now um, and maybe try and draft a defensive player unless, again, is is really heavy scoring or if you've got a bunch of uh, running backs. So the other yeah, the trade. players the players flanking uh, Nick Chubb in the DTC Dynasty rankings right now. Chubb comes in at fifteen. Uh-huh. At fourteen is Mike Evans, and at sixteen oh, is God. Antonio Brown. Good um, God! So that one twelve, you know, you're looking at second or probably at least the second tier of rookie running backs and third right. tier of rookie wide receivers. And so that that player, so Darius Leonard has to make up uh, a pretty substantial amount of scoring there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it just makes me feel even better about my Nick Chubb trade I made earlier in the season. I traded away uh, Jordan Howard. It ended up being pick 1.5, which I'm a little upset about losing, but Jordan Howard and pick 1.5 to get Nick Chubb. And uh, I'm uh, I'm really digging that trade right now, though. Uh, I, I love me some Nick Chubb. Uh, but the last trade that we've got here was uh, an interesting one for me because I honestly don't know where I'm I'm going to go with this. I'm really curious to hear what DTC says and you have to say about it. So it's a super flex league. Uh, I, I just had his name here. Chris Patterson. He was talking about giving up. He needs to give up Juju Smith-Schuster and the 3.1 for Carson Wentz and Nelson Aguilar. What does DTC say and what do you say about this trade? Well, what I say is, if I'm giving up Juju Smith-Schuster, I certainly don't want to be replacing him with Nelson Aguilar. <laughs> so, that being said, uh, the Dynasty Trade Calculator value for Juju is 43.5 in a Superflex 
uh, ranking with the 3.1 at three points for a total of 46.5 points. Uh, on the other side of the equation, Carson Wentz in a super flex is coming in at 39 points even mm-hmm. and Aguilar at 2.9 for a total of 41.9. Wow. So there's not a big difference between the two sides. Right. Really? It then. depends. I, I think a lot of it's going to come down to what do you believe Carson Wentz is? Uh-huh. Do you believe he's an often injured uh, middle-of-the-road quarterback, or do you believe he's a, a brilliant young team leader that can motivate his guys and uh, put a team on his back and carry him to the finish line? Yeah, then see, that's where I'm kind of stuck on this one. I think for me, if I had Juju in the 3.1, unless I desperately needed a quarterback, I'm going to hold Juju. Uh, I just think he's been phenomenal the past two years. Add in the fact that A.B. might be leaving and he has a chance to be the 1-1. I think he's already been better than A.B. was this past year. Uh, you've got a chance for him to be the 1-1 in what has almost always and exclusively been a very explosive offense and very good to the wide receiver position. Uh, I think I would just hold him. Like I said, unless you just desperately need a quarterback. Not that I don't like Carson Wentz. Uh, I do think that he can be uh, jump right back up into that 10-12 to 12 quarterback uh, position. But I would imagine... Uh, you could probably trade for someone lesser and not have to give up so much. So that'd be my just my personal opinion. I would try and trade something else uh, and get maybe a quarterback in like the 15 to 20 range and try and keep Juju and continue to build your team around Juju because he's only, I think, 22 years old. So this is a dude that you could have for easily the next decade and I think is a chance to be right there in that elite tier one, at worst, the top of the tier two position uh, for wide receiver in fantasy. So that's definitely someone I would personally try and keep uh, and build around. I do think it's a little crazy that the 3.1 is valued higher than Nelson Aguilar, though. I think personally, even though Nelson Aguilar has not shown a ton, I would probably want to keep him uh, over a 3.1 pick just because there's no guarantee you're going to get anybody worth anything at the 3.1 in a rookie draft. That's just my opinion, though. Yep, I, I would the the pick wouldn't really move anything for me. Right. If I'm gonna be if I'm gonna be sending away Juju, uh, and you're gonna give me Wentz, I'm gonna need something probably substantially more than Aguilar. I'm mm-hmm. I'm gonna be selling to the person that wants Juju that I think Wentz is a downgrade. I'm gonna be selling the injuries. I'm gonna be selling you know the strife that's come out uh, with Wentz. You know doesn't always get along great with his teammates. And, uh-huh. You know, he just came out and basically said, you know, I've got some, I, I've got some things to work on, but I'm 26 years old and I kind of am who I am. And I don't know how much that's really going to change. Mm-hmm. So he, he kind of acknowledges, Hey, this is how I lead and this is how I'm going to lead. And so you're going to need to work with it here, fellas. Um, that may be good for the team. That may be not. And, you know, that's kind of what Tom Brady does. It's like, Hey, this is the program you get with the program or you get with the door one or the other. Right. So we'll see how it plays out. I think uh, for Wentz, the thing is he's got to, he's got to get healthy. He's got to stay healthy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with you on that. So that is going to do it for today's episode guys. Uh, Really quick before we close it out, just want to talk about 
what's going to happen starting Thursday. So I personally am really excited about this. I've never, uh, I've, I've always read stuff like this and heard other people talk about it. Never done it myself. Uh, so starting on Thursday, me and Dennis are going to start our division breakdowns. I've talked about it before in past episodes that we were going to eventually get to it. I wanted to wait till the Super Bowl was over uh, so that we could kind of get everything done. Hopefully by Thursday, although uh, the teams will be talking about aren't involved in this. Hopefully by the time we get to the Bengals and the Dolphins, though, their coaching staffs will be fleshed out. But what we're going to be doing uh, come Thursday is we're going to start with the NFC North, and we're literally going to break down every single team in the NFC North. We'll talk about what we thought about their 2018 seasons, what we're projecting them to do possibly moving forward. We'll talk about any or all coaching changes that have happened there, and we'll talk about dynasty players, obviously, because that's what you guys are here for. We will talk about who we think has a chance to move up and who we think is going to possibly fall down on every single team. We'll start in the order from just using the NFC North. And as, as the example, the Bears will be the first team we talk about because they won the division and will move so on and so forth on down. And we will continue doing that until we get through all of the divisions. After that, we'll start focusing on uh, the NFL the combine. We'll start talking about the combine. I was going to say the draft. The draft's not quite here yet, uh, but we'll start talking about the combine because likely by the time we get through all of the divisions, it'll be time for the combine. So we'll move right into that. Uh, we've obviously done some talks about prospects. We'll really start to really get into the depth of these classes as we've only kind of talked about our top 10 or 12. We'll really start digging into the meat of this class and we'll possibly start talking about some of the IDP players as well. I know a couple people reached out to me on Twitter about that. Um, again, I, I'll, I'll I'll openly and honestly admit I'm not uh, as uh, up-to-date or I don't know as much about the IDP stuff as I wish I did. Maybe that's something I should study more here moving forward, and that's what I'll, I'll work on because uh, I, I pay much closer attention to the offensive side of the ball than I do the defensive side, but I'll definitely try and get as much and the best information that I can for you guys on that moving forward. And then obviously after that, we will really jump into the free agency class as well. Uh, not a lot of really big na- uh, big players out there, but a couple really big names uh, that could completely change the landscape for fantasy depending on where they go. Uh, so that's just something where, like I said, we're both looking forward to talking about that and we'll start doing that on Thursday. Dennis, thank you so much again for, uh, for joining me today. And I cannot wait to sit down and talk to you about the NFC North Division on Thursday. Have a great day, buddy. And I'll see on Thursday. Right on. Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? I came out the wrong line already. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable time.